Welcome to Gonzo Gaming Audio Articles. Now this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but you should bear with me, because if you like video games, this concerns you. I finished Shadow of the Colossus this Sunday gone, and it ranks as the most frustrating and horrible moment of my gaming career. When I asked the five questions we ask all of our guests on Digital Cowboys, the one about worst gaming experience ever is always going to make me think of this. I would, however, like to make it clear that it was frustrating because I wanted to love it, and horrible because I did not. I understand I'm in the small minority here, and fans of this series and director Fumito Ueda's other game, Eco, tend to get very defensive when the qualities of their cherished series are called into question, but that's what I'm here to do. First off, let us establish the scene. Why did it take me five years to play this game? Why, when it is widely regarded by enthusiast gamers to be up there with the Ocarina of Time in terms of classical significance? Well, it emerged in Europe February 2006, during a period when I had gone off the boil from console gaming. This stemmed from a period in 2004 when my inability to secure a close circle of friends on Xbox Live left me barred from the best thing about that generation of consoles. It was also the time when I was giving myself body and soul to the world of Warcraft. I didn't get back into console gaming until a year later when Gears of War convinced me to buy an Xbox 360 as well as an HDTV, a sizable investment and the reason I was such a late adopter. So when Colossus emerged, I did not have my ear to the ground with regard to must-play console games, and by the time I did, the disc had become something of an expensive rarity. I did attempt to play Eco, but my eternal loathing of babysitting quests left me very cold to it. I had always intended to go back after playing Colossus, and last year, when the trailer for The Last Guardian emerged at E3, I resolved to bite the bullet, pay the collector's price, brave the past-gen graphics, and wired pad, and get on my horse. Two days later, I was two colossi down and kind of bored and frustrated. Since then, every time I pass my shelf, it has called out to me, and I've never been able to actually bring it back out. Just the act of wiring up my dusty PS2 requires some planning, and there always seem to be other games around to play. The recent announcement that it was being re-released on PlayStation 3 was what kicked me into gear eventually. Better to finish and flog it as fast as possible than procrastinate any longer and see my investment dwindle. So when I started hunting the third Colossus this Sunday, it was to be a race against time fueled only by determination and what little skill and patience I could muster. In retrospect, maybe not the best way to play it, but as events transpired, it was never going to be a favourite of mine. A brief explanation for those that are unaware of this game. In Shadow of the Colossus, you play a young warrior named Wanda, who travels on his horse to a shadowy temple in a desolate land with the body of a young girl. He lays the girl in the temple and offers his services to the gods in exchange for her life. The gods command him to go and slay 16 lumbering giants wandering the land. He goes off and does this, and I won't spoil the ending for you. That's it. Very little speech, no interaction between characters as there are none. The landscape is vast, and by that I mean bigger than almost any other environment you've inherited in a game. There are a few small lizards, a bird or two, trees, and rocks. Lots of rocks. It is an exercise in absolute isolation, and what that will do to you over the course of ten hours. You're effectively marooned in this land with only the horse for company, giants to slay, and ruins to explore. And here I hit my first snag. I can see what Team Eco were trying to do. I feel the loneliness they intended. 
It's not fun. It's not supposed to be fun. To begin with, it's somewhat exciting, but at times it feels like you're playing an early building of an MMO. Mobs and NPCs will be added later for means of storytelling, combat, dialogue, humor, and objectives. But it doesn't need these things. You can play a thousand other games for those. In reducing the world to the most minimalist essentials, a purity was created, and a freedom like no other. Maybe so, but I would posit that in pursuing that simplicity, sacrifices were made that will make the result almost unplayable for some. Yes, not all games have to be fun and entertaining, just like not all films or music has to be, but significantly those two mediums are passive and require no actual input from you, the player. You just have to be there. If you were, say, watching the entirety of the German TV series Heimat all ten hours back to back, you would simply have to sit there and absorb. To listen to the Beatles' Revolution 9 only requires patience through the 8 minutes 22 seconds of dense garbled dialogue and cacophony of noise. Shadow of the Colossus asks you to wallow in bleak existentialism, but also perform acrobatic Prince of Persia-style jumps and solve the spirit-crushing, body-crushing riddles of the Colossi for hours and hours and hours without any respite. It really is just the same thing over and over again. When you bring a giant down, you walk back to the temple, the gods give you a cryptic and irrelevant clue about where the next one is, you ride off, taking one of four routes with some slight variation, use your sword to point to the next beast, find him, fell him, rinse, repeat. Ironically, if the game had been two hours long and only featured four colossi, I would have been happier with that pattern and be regarding the game quite differently. But it's four times that amount, and it never really gets any more exciting than the first time. But it doesn't need to be exciting. What's he talking about? I was excited the whole way through. You are the only other person I've ever known who dislikes Shadow of the Colossus. I am so happy not to be alone. That sounds shit. I'm not paying out for that one, even on PSN. Well, hold on a second, because there's good stuff here, too. I mean, really good stuff. Okay. okay. Let me tell you what Shadow does right. The music, for starters, is orchestral and hugely accomplished, sizing up moments of quiet reflection, epic grandeur, and titanic struggles. Composed by Kao Otani, this is a score that will haunt you if you devote yourself to this game, no matter your feelings at the close. The landscape itself feels real. It's not really fantastical at all, but ebbs and flows like Middle Earth, a thing of cliffs, valleys, lakes, and desert, and a character in and of itself. The draw distance is positively insane, with bridges far off in the horizon that you know you can reach and cross, and with some dutiful exploring you can find yourself in sections of the landscape that were not designed to be part of the game's narrative. Treasure just waiting to be found. The architecture is beautifully dilapidated and tells the story of a once thriving land that has now faded into the shadows, and your horse is the best steed in gaming history in terms of how real it feels and the bond you create, more so than a pona even. It is there, however, that the limitations have to be noted. As expansive as the landscape is, this is a PS2 game through and through, with all the murky greys that entails. At times I had to strain to see the smudge that represented me clinging to the giant smudge striding around a smudgy arena. Well, you should have played it back in 2006 on an SDTV before the advent of HD gaming. Hogwash. The palettes for this game were chosen by Team Eco. They had a very specific look in mind, a wintry, blown-out desolation of the soul made polygonally real. The few moments I got to visit a green meadow bursting with life reminded me that they chose grey and brown. Go back to the Zelda game of that generation, the sublimely crisp and colourful Wind Waker, and one thing you will not have to do is strain to pick Link out of the scenery. It also seems to be punching above its weight technologically. 
the frame rate plummets the moment a colossus turns up on screen, making the moments that you need the most clear view, the most accurate aim, and the swiftest uninterrupted movements, conversely, the most jerky and maddening in the whole game. The horse, though it moves realistically when riding at full pelt, comes a cropper at even the shortest of rocky obstacles, whinnying and stopping in its tracks every time you clip the scenery. And this is made so much easier to do by volition of the worst aspect of this game. Don't say it. Oh yes, the fucking camera. Now I am definitely not alone on this one. Nearly every review, even the wildly positive ones, state that the camera feels like your greatest foe throughout this whole adventure, lurching to the oddest and most obtuse angles at the worst possible moments, affording you entirely the wrong viewpoint when you need to carefully pick your way around the edge. And when you fight the Colossi, you must always bear in mind that the camera wants you to fail. It will never behave itself or give you the view you need to traverse with accuracy and grace. Instead, you wrestle with one thumb to control Wanda and the other to bring the screen to bear. And what controls? I have never been so disillusioned and so unsure of my abilities. I have never trusted a central protagonist less or felt someone so ill-equipped to the task at hand. Wanda flails about like Norman Wisdom, tripping and falling on his arse as the ground shakes beneath him, fumbling the simplest of jumps, belligerently refusing to stab when your very life depends on it, and being tossed about like a rag doll, one arm hanging on for dear life, the other clutching his sword and flailing uselessly. His arrows strike home about 10% of the time, and aiming is a sluggish chore. And when knocked down, he lies for an age on the ground while you scream at him to get back in the game. On two occasions, an enterprising colossus stood over his body, ramming it every time he staggered to his feet like a corpse-camping PvP asshole. Yet Wanda lacked the swift feet to dodge these sullenly predictable attacks. Again, I won't spoil the ending. It doesn't work out too well for him. But I don't think Team Eco wanted me cheering. But that's more realistic. There is tension created by not being a super-powerful warrior, accentuating the fragility of your protagonist and the daunting task ahead of him. Bollocks. When did playing somebody ably equipped to deal with the situation become a bad thing? If I was playing the Prince of Persia, Nathan Drake, Kratos or Link, I would feel exhilaration as my skilled fighter handled the obstacles thrown at him. Instead, I found myself struggling again and again just to make Wanda behave himself and actually obey my commands. When your on-screen avatar can't do things that you yourself are fairly confident you could perform, then it's no longer realistic, but hampered and unresponsive. This could have been remedied by character skill growth, granting you new abilities and weapons. It could even shamelessly ape Zelda in this respect too. Darksiders Wrath of War did the same thing this year and I hardly had anything bad to say about it unoriginality and a protracted mirror puzzle being its only vices it would have added more complexity and variety to the Colossus battles and given me a reason to keep going aside from stubbornness there is no interface, no tutorial no on screen icons to teach you how to play you could consider this an effort to make the procedure less gamey it's more immersive if you just focus on what you're doing next rather than what buttons you're pressing but if this is the agenda, then why is the button to mount your horse the same as jump, while other buttons remain non-functioning? Every time you just want to mount up and ride off, you have to do the jumping dance round your steed until you get to the correct context-sensitive place. It rips you from the world and reminds you of the limitations of the controller. Why the grip gauge and energy bar? Why not simply replace them with warning noises that Wanda could make as he starts to flag? Why would you need icons indicating the bow and arrow or the sword if you can see which ones he's holding in his hands? At least you think that smudges a sword. I'm not sure about that one. In fact, why have an energy bar at all? The danger of death should not be a concern in this game. It's always going to be a matter of determination and problem solving. If Wonder was somehow invincible but could still be thrown or lose his grip, I think that represents enough challenge without having to worry about whether the feeble gimp is going to expire temporarily and have to restart the battle. Yet again, it's kind of gamey.
Am I wrong? So let's talk about the colossi themselves. Each one is a vast puzzle covered in armor, scales, and hair, often resembling architecture more than organic beings. They truly, absolutely are breathtaking. As you approach them and they fill your screen, engulfing you, the idea of actually bringing them. Hello, mate. I'm in the middle of recording Gonzo Gaming. Can I call you back in like fifth, ten, ten minutes? Cool. Thank you, mate. Cool. Oh, you're on Gonzo Gaming. Say hi. As you approach them and they fill your screen, engulfing you, the idea of actually bringing them down seems near impossible at first. Four or five in, you've sort of gotten used to the idea. It then becomes a lengthy task of shining your torch at them to find their hidden weak spots, then working out how to scale them. The trial and error is technically the best part. The worst is when you've worked out exactly what to do and then have to engage in tedious repeat attempts as your own character's limited skills and the retarded camera sabotage your efforts. This also could have been remedied very simply. When you finally get to the weak spots, which takes some serious work in and of itself, then one simple stab for I don't know massive damage should be all it takes. None of this clinging on and being tossed about. You do enough of that on the way up, and it, all it serves is to highlight Wanda's inability to use both arms at once: one for climbing, one for stabbing. You whittle away at the enormous energy bar, eventually lose grip, and have to start all over again, betrayed by your meagre strength and the immense stamina of the colossi. So when they finally die, you don't feel victory. Only a grim satisfaction and the sinking feeling that you're going to have to shortly do all of this again. You're not supposed to feel victory. You should have taken breaks. It's not designed to be played in one sitting. Granted, but my problem was that the last break I took was in July 2009. If I took another break this time, I would not be able to sell the game for even a fraction of what I paid. It's like pulling a band-aid off quickly rather than agonizingly slowly over a matter of days. And while this did not matter initially, the more the journey went on and the less satisfaction I was getting, the more determined I was to finish. It. Not so that I could crow at everybody who loves this game. I take no pleasure in this. I am not implying that Shadow will be, not be absolutely enchanting to somebody of the right mindset. I'm simply embodying the lone voice in the darkness, able to speak out and say it is too deficient in the areas I needed to keep even a sense of achievement, let alone enjoyment. Well, it's not for everyone. Everyone has to play Shadow of the Colossus if they care about games. And here we have the great double bind. I played this game because I was told to, not because I thought it would appeal. It's often been mooted as the Citizen Kane of contemporary games in the. Place where art and gaming converge, and it is absolutely important. But art, once again, is a passive medium. You can look into a painting by Giorgio de Chirico and feel powerful despair, but it does not require anything more specific from you over ten hours other than your presence. Salvador Dali could design one hell of a game, but without someone to balance his bizarre strength of vision with something actively compelling and reliable controls and camera, it could be a nightmare to play. The fact that this has an abundance of artistic merit does not make it a slickly functioning game. I felt an immense amount of pressure to play this game to completion. When I expressed my dismay at how frustrating it is, the responses usually seem to be, "You're playing it wrong." That didn't happen with me. Or occasionally, it's not a game for everyone. Well, if it's not a game for everyone, we must acknowledge why. See that in some cases the weaknesses can have a detrimental effect, and stop lambasting the folks who don't agree. It's our duty, if we want to aid in the expansion of this medium away from parlor games, to not live out a blinkered existence whereby everybody's seesaw of juice versus squeeze is set at the same universal levels for every title. 
I'm not saying we should all get along. I love the nature of healthy heated debate. But by God, we have to be more receptive of the arguments of our co-gamers because otherwise our version of debate becomes a case of who can shout the loudest. If the high percentage of players who adored Shadow of the Colossus shout loud enough, then the few who just aren't too keen or downright hated it will never raise their heads for fear of seeming stupid, uncultured or unskilled. At this juncture, I'm standing up for all ten-thumbed philistines everywhere. It was the final boss that broke the back of my proverbial camel. I did resolve on last week's podcast to never face one of these last guardians again without a full night's sleep to recuperate from the typically punishing final section of most games. However, I got far enough in that I just thought, sod it. And it's one of those mountain climbing puzzles that throws you all the way back down if you make a mistake. The same as every other colossus in essence, but ten times more protracted. The first time I scaled the beast, I took my time getting within a whisker of the summit before my grip gauge petered out. Trying in vain to rest without clinging on to his twisting, bouncing hands, I had him up to that point. Then I was flung all the way back down with a roar of dismay. After that, I attempted reclimbing, getting a little bit less far each time, my resolve in the basement. This was the gaming equivalent of a nervous breakdown. I was stuck in place. I could not advance. I could not quit. Not now. I had beaten this bastard game fair and square. I became irrational and even a little delusional. How dare they, T. Miko, do this to me? You should have rested first. Believe it or not, at the point I first began to climb, I was tired, but energised. I could see what I had to do, and the end was in sight. Remember all those times that you slipped and fell down a mountain in Tomb Raider? Well, I hated those bits. They made me not want to play Tomb Raider. Ever. Well, now imagine that thing has arms and is intent on tossing you off. That's what she said. So when I finally reached its head and readied myself to stab it over and over again, all of the worst aspects of the game came slamming down on me at once. The repetitiveness. I've done this 15 times already with only slight variation. The camera would not focus on where I needed to be. Wanda moved with the grace of a slug, could do nothing but cling on and get shaken about, his sword flapping as uselessly as a tea towel. And every eventual stab took half a millimetre off the Colossus's mile-long energy bar. When I jumped to safety to recharge, he pratt fell repeatedly and uncontrollably, like Lee Evans. It was as though Team Eco were intent on not letting me leave without the sour taste of bile in my throat. My fractured feelings about the title they had worked so long and hard on, descending into the gutter amid a storm of profanity. This mixture of breathtaking gaming world and atrocious interface is about the hardest thing to judge as a gaming journalist. It's as though somebody's handed you a 19-year-old Tomatin Distillery Speyside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, and you breathed in the heady scent and took that first fiery sip, before noticing there was a cat turd floating in it. But when you try to take that turd out, everybody looks at you aghast and says they had no problem with it and in fact enjoyed the flavour. I calls it like I sees it. Now, granted, that's not the experience for most players in this game, and I do confess a laundry list of personal issues that I have in dealing with stress. Don't forget the persecution complex. And yes, most of you will have forgiven the game any unpleasant experiences you had in exchange for the awe-inspiring finale of this epic tale. And it's true. The end of the game, where 80% of the plot resides, really is a belter. And actually, astonishingly, was worth the trouble I took to get there. So in my case, it wasn't about the journey after all, but the resolution. In consequence, I find it hard to recommend this game, but impossible not to. But you will get no ill judgment from me if you fling down your pad in exasperation within the first few hours. I will simply commend you for at least trying it.
As for whether I will play The Last Guardian, call me back in 2015. I'll be on my hoverboard watching a 12-screen TV and eating rehydratable pizza at the time, so you may have to fax me. (laughs) 